Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hi, my name is Philip Russell, and I'm your host for the next podcast uh, of Dirty Steel Toe Boots. This is episode number two. Today's topic is Who is OSHA? And I am going to be joined by my partner, my colleague, and my friend, and the head of our Workplace Safety and Health Practice Group, Mr. Eric Hobbs. Eric, say hi. Hey, Philip. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this, and thank you uh, to all those of you who have taken time to listen to us. Well, we're happy to have you. And, uh, and Eric, is, uh, you know, as you know, we've got this podcast started now for our practice group. It's a podcast about OSHA inspections, citations, and litigation presented by the firm, myself, and many of my colleagues, and yourself included, and lots of special guests we're going to have from time to time. Our intent are, is it's intended for employers and will provide some thoughts, ideas, strategies, and tips to consider. Of course, we're not giving out legal advice for any particular situation in the podcast, but hopefully we'll give you some content to consider and that will be valuable. Our intended audience will be our in-house counsel friends, safety executives and their teams, human resource executives and directors, you know, owners, executives that, are, that have got uh, OSHA inspections that they've dealt with or maybe upcoming uh, to help get them through that process of the OSHA inspection and if a citation is issued, how do you handle it? And then the subsequent litigation that comes afterwards. What we covered in episode number one, just a quick review. We did an introduction of the podcast. We talked about four tips for employers to consider in protecting workers and try to keep OSHA away. Today, we're going to talk about who is OSHA. Uh, but before we do a brief OSHA update, we like to do that to give an update and a quick tip before we dive into our conversation with Eric today. The quick update is within a few business days before the recording of this podcast, the CDC issued its updated guidance recommending that even vaccinated workers or vaccinated people, I should say, Eric, put on masks in public indoor spaces. And that's caused quite the stir. I'm at a conference this week, and there are a lot of discussions about what those words mean. Uh, We are anticipating that perhaps at any moment we may hear from OSHA on this issue. Uh, I asked our colleague and friend Jonathan Martin in D.C. whether he expected to see anything coming from OSHA. And uh, he, a bit tongue-in-cheek, said uh, to take my figure-eight ball uh, and (laughs) sit down. I hear your lecture and shake it and see what it says. So we don't really, and and John's one of the best of the best inside the Beltway, and we just don't have any idea right now as to what OSHA is going to say, if any. I've been texting with a good friend um, within the agency um, who's pretty high placed, and he was going to ask the enforcement folks what the status is, if any, of of an update on the guidance. Um, Yesterday, the, the one with whom, the individual with whom he was going to speak wasn't in. And he hasn't yet gotten back to me today. So I'm, I'm hoping to know more. And we'll certainly get that word out to clients as soon as we know. And indeed we will. So uh, let's watch for that update. I mean, that, that whole issue of what's pu- a public indoor setting, 
is a real hairball. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's caused a lot of confusion. And I know oh, our yeah. listeners today are, are, are probably struggling or have struggled with it. Does it mean a place where only customers from the public come into the place or does it include offices, office spaces where you don't have members of the public come in, but you have employees? Uh, we don't know. And it's created more confusion than answers. Absolutely. And one of, one of uh, my uh, um, colleagues at, at, um, in, within CDC had told me that you know, public throughout the pandemic has been used as a reference to places, meaning public places has, has been used as a reference to places to which the public comes, like customer service, retail uh, establishments. So if, if there is a consistency of the use of the term public in, with respect to indoor spaces, then you know, the universe of workplaces to which the new guideline applies may be considerably smaller than a lot of commentators are, in my view, jumping the conclusion to say they are. So it'd be interesting to see. It will be. So I guess on that one, we'll have to go back to the fortune telling ball, flip it over. And when uh, John said to do it, it said, wait and see. So we will wait and see. <laughs> so for today's OSHA quick tip, it, it simply is this. Be sure that the when the inspection is open, that, the, that OSHA is inspecting the correct corporate identity. That is the employer of the employees or workers who are allegedly exposed to a hazard. That does not mean a parent company. It does not mean siblings. Corporate you know, liability for uh, violations or alleged violations of the OSHA Act that are enforced by OSHA, that's a very important piece. The worst time to wait and find out who OSHA is inspecting is when the citation arrives. And if OSHA got it wrong, that's a very hard thing to fix, isn't it, Eric? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, it can be done through the settlement process if, if OSHA cooperates, but I wouldn't say often, but they sometimes resist that because it's to their advantage to do so in certain cases, right? Do you agree with me then that at the opening conference that employers should be asking who, what corporate entity do you have? And let's make sure we've got the right employer here. Absolutely. I mean, we, we may find out, to your point, that you know, the, the employer being identified by OSHA under, for example, a national emphasis program, which is based upon a list of employers, you know, randomly selected or otherwise, um, and, and they're in the wrong place. OSHA's in the wrong place, or at least doesn't have a grip on, on which parts of the, of the workplace should be inspected because those are the places in which the employees in issue are, are working. So absolutely. Well, it really comes up uh, oftentimes when you have, you know, I'll, I'll just say ABC Construction Company construction company might have a parent with also the letters ABC in the name or ver a variety of siblings ABC in the name. And so the and the public perception is all they're all just ABC company because that's what the marketing shows. Well, of course a co-show might look at that and just anticipate there's one company or I'll just write in the name of the biggest one, the parent, but that might not be the employer at the job site. So it's important to correct that. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, that, that's one of those cases in the construction industry in which there really is a programmed series of, of employers whom OSHA is supposed to be inspecting. And if, if, if you're not on that list, with the compliance officer sitting in front of you saying, I want to initiate an inspection, you know, an employer needs to be prepared to say, hey, that's not me. You can't do, we can't do that unless we know who, who the inspector is there to inspect. All right. So there's your tip of the day, folks. Make sure you address the uh, corporate identity, the employer uh, entity early on. Do it at the opening. Mr. Hobbs, introduce yourself. 
You've already provided great value to our audience today, but you are the chair of our Workplace Safety and Health Practice Group at Ogletree Deacons. Uh, Tell our listeners a little bit about your experience. Oh, thanks, Philip. That sounds so impressive, doesn't it? I chair the Workplace Safety Practice. That means I'm the chief cat herder. You know, we're, we're we're a pretty entrepreneurial firm. And I just, you know, my, my, my job is really to ensure that people are working well together in the sandbox. And when we're pulling oars, we're all pulling in the same direction. Uh, but I, I've been practicing OSHA law since about 1984, which is a long time. I had hair back then. Represented clients across the spectrum of industries, you know, from construction to healthcare to manufacturing to, I mean, if, if you name it, it's there, including temporary staffing, um, which has its own issues, as you well know. All, all of those actually have their own issues. I fell into this literally, um, I'll say by accident. I was called upon by a a former partner of mine who at the time was doing savings and loan work and OSHA work. (laughs) Those two were his practice. And he said, hey, I've got a hearing coming up and my wife may give birth that week. I need you to tag team with me. And it turned out that Jackie did in fact have the baby that week. So I wound up handling the the trial, which we won. And after which uh, my partner said, you know what? Uh, I don't want to practice OSHA law anymore. It's all yours. So I became the OSHA lawyer at the firm. This is my first firm. Doing it ever since then. And I, I love it. I love it in part because you know, all of us in, in safety and health, whether we're executives who are committed to it, whether we're safety and health folks who are actually responsible for compliance on the job site, whether we're, we're uh, in-house counsel or outhouse counsel like, like you and me, Philip, I mean, we're all concerned and focused on protecting our employees. I mean, the, the, the inspections and the, the, the litigation really are incidental to the primary goal, which is we want our employees, our workers, to come to work and then to leave uh, in the same condition, right? Um, and I, I love that part of, of OSHA law, the, the, the proactive uh, as well as the litigation really do. So you started practicing OSHA law in workplace safety and health law in 1984, a very Orwellian year. It was indeed. That's right. I hadn't really thought about that. You're absolutely right. It was. So let's talk about that. The act itself came out in 1970, the OSHA Act. So, but its focus wasn't on injuries or illnesses. What was the focus? It was, was, and I should say, continues to be on the exposure of employees to hazards, which makes sense, right? I mean, we 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 want to make a preemptive strike. We don't want to wait until somebody's hurt. Fair to say? Indeed it is, but I think it sometimes is a misconception or a myth I've heard a lot that OSHA gets involved in injuries and illnesses. You know, when something oh, yeah. bad happens, very akin to workers' comp, but that's not the case. No, it's not, nor should it be, uh, and nor should we see it that way. I, I agree with you completely. And the approach is, is different from other federal agencies, right? I think you're talking about the National Labor Relations Board. The, the way that OSHA was set up in 1970, I know Congress looked at the National Labor Relations Board and, and I guess anecdotally said, uh, metaphorically said, we don't want OSHA to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner the way the Labor Board has been under labor law. Let's do it differently. So what did they do? They created what, what I call a bifurcated structure. So that you know, OSHA inspects, issues citations, and proposes penalties. We've got to keep in mind that federal OSHA can't assess penalties. All they can do is propose them. And why is that? It's because the second head to the monster, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, is the only entity that has the legal authority to assess penalties. So it has to consider what OSHA has proposed and then say either yes or no or here's, here's something different. 
So that, that Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission is, it's, it's a little bit like the, the Court of Appeals, I guess, a good way to look at it within the OSHA system. So OSHA issues a citation. Um, we sit down with them and talk about it at an informal conference, for example. We're not able to come to terms. We contest within that 15 business day period. And our contest or our appeal goes to the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. And that's a completely separate entity. It's not a part of the U.S. Department of Labor. It is its own animal. And the theory of Congress, as well as, as of the agencies, is that it stands independently of OSHA or independent of OSHA and uh, theoretically comes to the table not having a bias one way or the other, uh, either toward, toward uh, the agency or toward the employer appearing before them. And I, I think fair to say, Philip, it works, right? Don't you think so? I, I do. And, and one of the favorite things I like to say is that OSHA doesn't decide if OSHA got it right. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. That's a great point. That's a great and, point. And the reality is it is set up by a different entity. And, you know, even though employers get this citation package, which looks final, reads as if it's final, even has a payment coupon or a link for online payments, it's so convenient. The key word there is proposed penalty. It is just an accusation that gets reviewed by someone else. And, and Ostrich, the review commission, is not part of the Department of Labor the way OSHA is. Am I right? Yes, completely separate entity. Uh, yep, it is. Well, let's talk about OSHA. Let's talk about the structure. How is the agency organized? I know it flows, all things flow from inside the Beltway and from outside of D.C. What does that look like? Well, you know, e even before we talk about that, I know this is a little bit... Um, off the line here, but I think it's really important for us all to remember that OSHA is not an entity, it's people. You know, it, it's very easy for us to begin to think of any federal agency, it just happens to be OSHA in this case. So any, to think about OSHA and or what OSHA is, what OSHA does in a, in a monolithic way. It's people, right? I mean, they're, they're divided, as you and I are going to discuss, in, into an organizational structure, but they're people. And for that reason, I think you'll agree with this. I know you will, Philip. Relationships in this business are everything, right? Whether you are the employer dealing with a compliance officer, whether you're a lawyer for a client like you and me dealing with a compliance officer or the boss or you know, whoever it might be within the agency, those relationships are everything. Just kind well, of, I think it's important to keep that in mind. I think it's critical. I, I agree fully. And I, I never really realized it until I started getting into the workplace safety and health practice of law in that area about 10 years ago now for me and really learned that it really is about those relationships, but it's the relationships all the way up and down. It's not just the folks that are in the area offices. So let's start at the top. The, the person at the top is actually the head of the Department of Labor, the Secretary of Labor. Right. Who in this case is Marty Walsh, who's the new confirmed appointee. If those of you listening to, to the podcast, you probably have heard his name before. He's a labor guy who comes out of Boston, but he has had the reputation over the years of being very much an employer understanding and business cooperative. Or yeah, I guess he, he was a cooperator with business in his role. So he, he heads the whole shoot and match. So that includes OSHA, among many other sub-agencies, if you will. So with OSHA, though, we, we don't yet have, a, a, and it's a big, it's a mouthful here, but it's the assistant. <laughs> The head of OSHA, the title is the Assistant Secretary of Labor for Occupational Safety and Health. Yeah, it barely fits on the envelope, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think this business card is crazy, I'm sure. Yeah, I bet it is. It's a very long, skinny business card. Um, yeah, we have a nominee. I mean, the president has nominated Doug Parker, uh, 
um, who is presently, or I, I guess, I guess he's still presently the chief of Cal OSHA, comes, uh, as you would imagine, under a Biden administration, he comes from the labor side. He was a labor advocate of safety with, a, with an organization out of Oakland, California. To those of us who are active in the occupational safety and health law, um, was one of our co-chairs for a while. And I would say a good guy, a guy whom we believe will at least listen or go through the motions of listening. And so, you know, with Mr. Walsh, Mr. Parker, you know, they, the interesting, if you have the perspective from the employer, you may, you may have some concerns because they come from big labor and from California and uh, to experience tracks that may make employers nervous. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's no question we should be nervous. Just that, that somebody listens doesn't mean he favors you. you know, and just that, just that uh, Mr. Parker is polite and does listen doesn't mean that he's going to side with us. I think that that's fair to say. I think he probably would agree with that. Well, something that struck me also is, uh, is the chief of staff for OSHA is a woman named Leah Ford, who, who I do not personally know at all. I'm sure she's a delightful person. But what struck me was interesting is that her background, she has no safety background at all. Yet as chief of staff, she may have a, a hand in the hiring spree that we've all heard OSHA is going on under the Biden administration. What do you make I, of that? I think, I think there's no question that she will. And, you know, I don't know whether she'll be, a, you know, one of the I was going to say stereotypical bureaucrats. That sounds demeaning, and I don't mean it that way. So I'll say typical bureaucrats, who's you know who's provided the criteria for hire and simply applies those criteria. That probably oversimplifies the process. But I, I think there's no question that she is going to understand what is uh, what the Secretary of Labor, you know, Marty Walsh, believes needs to be need to be the criteria for hire, and certainly will understand what what Doug Parker believes those to be, and then she'll execute the direction that they give her. But I, I wish she had a better background in safety and health, because I think bringing that to bear would be helpful. Yeah, it's one of the issues I think that we've talked about before, and I've certainly thrown out on my LinkedIn post from time to time, is that you know, OSHA is going to go on a hiring spree, but it's not just about numbers. It's also about making sure those folks have the training and the resources they need to do their jobs effectively, to really make sure that the law is being applied as it's supposed to be applied. And, you know, I, I tell folks all the time, Eric, our job is not to fight OSHA. Our job is to hold OSHA accountable for our clients. OSHA, I also have said from time to time, OSHA already, when sometimes an employer says, well, I don't want to hire a lawyer because I don't want to send the wrong message to OSHA, but OSHA already has their own law firm. And the office of the solicitor uh, is right now, I think the, uh, the I forget the title of the job, but the chief solicitor, is it Seema Nanda? Am I right about the job title? Yes. Well, the, 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 the solicitor of labor is the title, right? So the top dog. And I mean, and we got to understand that the solicitor of labor, it kinda, it's easy to look at it this way. The solicitor of labor is the secretary of labor's lawyer. And then the secretary of labor has these divisions within the department, including OSHA. And the solicitor of labor has, in this case, her divisions of lawyers. So you might look at it like a law firm. And she's the managing partner. <laughs> she all serves right. the secretary of labor, but she's the boss of all these lawyers who, who work under her. So all this flows out to the region. So let's talk about the regions. There are various regions. I'm in Florida. So we have region four out of Atlanta. The regional administrator there is Kurt Petermeyer. There's also a regional solicitor. That's Karen Mock. Uh, how does that structure work around the country? Actually, in parallel with the way that that um, OSHA's regions work too, and I think you you implied that by including both Karen and and uh, and Kurt in that that mix. So 
OSHA and the solicitor's office, I'll call it that, are divided into these regions. There are 10 of them around the country. And then those regions in turn are divided into areas. So we talk about OSHA area offices. Those are the, the offices that send the boots on the ground to do the inspections, for example. And then in some, some locales, although it's less frequent now than it had been 20 years ago, um, there are district offices. They're kind of, they, they work under the umbrella of the area office. Um, now, the solicitor's office is divided only into regions. There aren't area offices of the solicitor's office, just of OSHA. Oh, good point. Well, you mentioned those area offices. Let's talk about those because I, I suspect that our listeners may be wondering, well, how do I get to know Marty Walsh or Mr. Parker, Doug Parker, if he gets the nominee or if he gets confirmed? How do I get to know the, the folks in Washington or the regions? They may not be as accessible, but the area offices are accessible for employers, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think you know, with, with varying degrees of, of truth to what I'm about to say, area directors want to get to know the employers in their areas. So I, I think you and I have discussed that, Philip. Heck, if you want to get to know the area director or his or her assistant area directors, make an appointment. Go sit down. They're, they're, they're more than open, in my experience, to sitting down simply to talk safety and health. And you know, it's, it's really good for us as employers to be known to the agency as more than just employers. We're more than just companies. We're more than just company names. We're people. You know, OSHA's people. Well, so are we people. And we want OSHA to know that. Well, what's interesting is you know, in, in this job, I, I think I've been valuable to clients and taught them a few things, but I've also learned a lot from them. And one of the things I've seen several of our national construction clients do, our clients of the firm, is that when they are starting a major, major project in an area, they affirmatively, proactively go see OSHA to say, we're starting this big project, whether it's a big building or a road or a bridge, whatever it may be, and we want to talk. And it just begins a dialogue. And in my experience, you know, OSHA leadership in the area offices, they organize their workday the way that you and I do, Eric, high, medium, and low priority. And you want to be in that low priority for OSHA? <laughs> you do. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. How do you get there? Well, you get there, I think, by relationships, by knowing those folks, because if tragedy strikes, then OSHA is going to start off knowing you. And that helps. No question. I've encouraged clients, even as you have, either individually or in force with other employers, like, like that construction consortium you, you mentioned a moment ago. I call it extending the olive branch. I guess you don't really have an olive branch to extend until there's a dispute. But it's a way of saying to OSHA, hey, you know, we, we want to come alongside as best we can, even though we realize in part we're on opposite sides, we want to come alongside and let you know what it is we do proactively in the way of safety. And then to your point, Philip, if, if, they, if there's information or help that they can provide to assist us in getting from A to B in safety, heck, uh, even if it doesn't work, it's, it doesn't hurt to hear what they have to say and see if it might. Indeed, it doesn't. And, and, you know, and we say this all the time. We've gotten to know a lot of the folks we've spoken about today. But, you know, when it comes time to disagree with OSHA, you can disagree with OSHA in a way that still preserves the relationship and the reputation that our clients you know, worked hard to establish. Boy, great point. And you can do it a lot better if the relationship was established before the dispute, right? That's right. You and I could tell many examples. One quick one I have is one of my, and I won't say names here, but one of my favorite assistant area directors, I had to cross-examine 
uh, during a trial once and, uh, and we were friends before and we're still friends now. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Uh, I had an informal conference actually yesterday with, uh, with an area office outside of my geographic region. And I, you know, it was with an assistant area director, which kind of disappointed me, actually. But his name was vaguely familiar. So, you know, in, in the first five minutes, he's very gregarious. We find out that for a time he was dispatched to a local area office here where he served as the assistant area director and helped the area director hire the other two assistants, whom I know very well. And it turned out that while he was near us, I had an informal with him face to face and we got done with our presentation. He said, you know what? I think we need to vacate these citations. Now, I'm not connecting those directly A to B, but I'll tell you that that relationship prior to the dispute assisted in the favorable resolution. May not have dictated it, but it certainly assisted in it. Well, hopefully what you just said makes its way into the summary for this episode of Dirty Steel Toe Boots. Relationships matter. So hopefully our editors will pick up on that and put it in there because I think that's really the biggest takeaway I've got and I think our listeners will have as well. So Eric, thank you so much for joining me today on episode number two uh, of Dirty Steel Toe Boots. And uh, we are going to continue this. We're going to have conversations with others in our practice group and maybe a client or two from time to time and others in the world as we explore all things OSHA. I, as I mentioned earlier, I post daily on LinkedIn about things related to OSHA, so check us out there. We have continue to have a robust practice group led by uh, none other than Mr. Hobbs himself. So we invite you all to look us up at Ogletree.com, follow the uh, work that we do to try and help everyone stay informed and stay prepared. So Mr. Hobbs, thank you very much. Philip, it's been a privilege to be your first guest in this series. Thanks so much for inviting me. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.